Oh, I'm no sod it. I'll let it go. <laughs> Uh, hello and everybody and welcome back to Conversations with a Coach podcast. Uh, this is the first podcast I am recording in 2023. Um, previously, I've got a bank of podcasts that are unpublished that I will be releasing. But um, yeah, the first 2023 podcast. And I would like to welcome my guest today, who is known on Instagram as at Bobby Nutrition. Um, Bobby, do you want to introduce yourself and tell me a little bit about who is Bobby Nutrition? Sure. Uh, well, thanks for having me. You're welcome. Um, I am really excited. I'm really excited because um, I know that your style of conversation is, is very honest, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. I'm looking forward to it. Um, who is Bobby Nutrition? Well, you know, Rob, Bobby, people go by both. Um, from a business perspective, what we do, well, we, we help ladies um, – and a few men. I think we have two poor men in the moment who know they're very <laughs> outnumbered in the program. Um, but predominantly, we help uh, ladies um, who have finally realized that um, the their preoccupation mentally with with weight loss is actually coming from a relatively toxic place. Um, that doesn't mean we're against weight loss per se. Um, intentional weight loss, maybe it depends on where it's coming from. Um, we focus more on what I would say unintentional weight loss. If weight loss even comes into the conversation, what we really focus on is that relationship with the self and the relationship with the body and, um, the relationship with food. Um, and then that, that can go all the way back to trauma, trying to connect the dots, helping people understand themselves better. And I think, the second way of answering this question is, you know, like, who am I? I think what I've come to realize recently is that whilst, yes, I am Bobby Nutrition, you know, like the, the emotional eating guy, um, but, but really I actually see my – what I love doing is actually just help, help, helping people to understand themselves in a way that they never really have, have before. Um, so – I'm not sure what that holds for the future, but it just so happens that I've always been obsessed with evidence-based nutrition. So it seemed like a really natural segue it happened by accident, really, you know? So really emotional eating is just, it's just the coping mechanism that we happen to be really, really good at helping with. Um, what I really, really love, love doing and what I see my purpose as being is, um, is helping people understand themselves finally yeah yeah why do you think you're so good at that i think one big reason is that i didn't and that's maybe i'm biased towards this but i think that's what really helped me you know once dare i say it, it's a relatively logical way of looking at it but once i understood once I understood why I was making these really sabotaging, ridiculous choices in life, um, which from yourself and from everyone around you, there's always judgments and there's always elements of shame because they're stupid, at least on the surface. Well, what do you then do when, when you feel shame? You use the very thing to cope with the shame that you're trying to get rid of, and it goes around in, in, in a cycle. So what helped me was finally looking 
at myself from a a value-driven perspective because values is a word that's thrown around all the time now right self-growth every fuck is doing it sorry am i allowed to swear (laughs) yeah you can swear it's my podcast (laughs) um your husband can edit get it out later (laughs) (laughs) um yeah I, i but at that point it really wasn't i i i'm a really cynical person at heart not so much these days but um you know i was brought up by a cynic and I was always proud, proud of my cynicism. I think most cynics are. Yeah. And um, I was very analytical. I was very logical about anything. If it wasn't logical, at least on the surface of things, you're an idiot. Yeah. How dare you believe in something, you know? And But once I started to read more about our unconscious and how where values come from, and then I started to then pick apart what my values were that were driving me, good values and bad values, it, it helped relinquish some of the responsibility. Now you have to still take responsibility, of course, but I, um, once I started realizing that um, a lot of what we do is driven unconsciously, mm-hmm. well, that's exactly what I can apply to everyone else then. So, and it's the same with the coaches as well, with the team. One of the things that I'll always say to people coming on board is that we don't, <laughs> unless you've experienced relatively quote unquote significant trauma yourself, we won't bring you in as a coach because for me, you just won't fully, fully get it. You will theoretically and your intention could be absolutely great. But when push comes to shove, you need to have been, been in similar shoes, not necessarily. It doesn't have to be that you've used the same coping mechanism. Because I'm not an emotional eater, at least how we'd label it anyway. I think we're all emotional eaters to some extent, but at least have a problem with emotional eating, you know? But um, because I was very much in, in the shoes of um, very misunderstood, uh, put, into, put into a world that wanted me to do things a certain way, that really, it wasn't right for me. Mm-hmm. And then you stop trusting yourself, you know? Um, so having gone through all of that up until I was about 25, 26, and the light bulb went off, um, that's why I think I'm good at – I'm very good at articulating things as well. Yeah. But I think you, there's no point, you know, it's annoying when somebody is articulate, but they're an arsehole, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we see that a lot. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but I like to think that uh, having been there in some way or another, I can resonate. Yeah. And I think it's really important when you're dealing with such deep issues and such an emotional response, having that resonating relatability is key to building a relationship with your client, right? You can't get the best out of somebody if they aren't fully invested in the relationship and they don't trust you. And I think that when it comes to trauma, either big trauma or little trauma, if you can talk to somebody that has been through similar, there is that natural affinity because it's almost like a, well, they won't judge me because they know how this feels. 100%. Yeah. Um, For right or wrong, you know, because um, the argument then on the other side is, 
you know, you shouldn't care what people think. But when we meet people at this point, of course they bloody do. Yeah. You know, they're always going to feel judged. They're always going to have a lack of trust in people. I think every, every single lady that I jump on the phone with for the first time, I had this conversation yesterday. Um, and I said to her, I said, look, I shoot from the hip and I, I seem to get away with it. I think I can do it in a nice, compassionate way. But there is a barrier up and you need to tell me what it is. Mm. Um, like, what do you think it is? And what we got to is the fact that she's just been fucked over left, right and center by not every coaching program and imaginable, but every person in her life as well. Yeah. So it's if you've just built up this catalog of evidence that you cannot trust people, it defies human psychology for you to think otherwise. You know, you are not going to trust people, and that's perfectly fine, at least for the time being. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I really get what you're saying with that because it might surprise some people listening to this podcast that I say this, but I've always been the sort of person that says, I don't give a shit what anybody else thinks. I don't care what anybody else thinks. It's a fucking huge lie. <laughs> right. I really care too much, probably, what other people think about yeah. me because of various life experiences, because of undiagnosed ADHD and autism, because of masking and spending my entire life not realising that in order to protect myself, I was incredibly defensive. Um, people that know me really well will know that I can be defensive and prickly. <laughs> um, it doesn't come across. <laughs> it can sometimes. Like if you've followed me for a while on social media and you watch my stories, you can tell when I'm in a funk because I get very, very kind of ragey about certain topics. And then you can see that like defense yeah. kind of thing coming out. But when we've been hurt, when we've been shamed, when we feel judgment, our automatic response is to protect ourselves and to either create a harsh exterior where we don't let anybody in, like a snail with a shell or a tortoise with a shell. We retreat back into that shell so nobody can get to us or we attack and we lash out and we do things. And sometimes that can take the form of self-abuse, right? That in order to protect ourselves, we can make ourselves unattractive or we can make ourselves aggressive in order to stop people approaching us or getting close to us. And do you think that with emotional eating, explain to me a little bit about what emotional eating looks like, because I don't want people to confuse this with eating disorders. Um, there is a difference and a nuance here between disordered eating, eating disorders, emotional eating, isn't there? Can you explain some of the differences there? Yeah. So I think the word that you see thrown around a lot is binge eating. Mm -hmm. right? And what people actually mean is overeating a lot yeah. of the time. And there is a subtle difference. And the difference really is, is that with binge eating, it is this, it is a complete lack of control. Um, and the very, the very idea of not being able to have this food right now, it, it sends your nervous system into a complete sense of disarray. Yeah. Uh, that's, that's where we start to enter the realms of an eating disorder. Um, whereas disordered eating is 
I would say, more common. And this is where it is less severe, um, but it's still problematic yeah. in the sense that it takes the form of a coping mechanism. So it is a blurred line, mm-hmm. um, which is why, you know, we would always have to ask, have you been diagnosed with an eating disorder? Yeah. Because um, it's not up to me. It's up to the doc. Um, so, yeah, th- there is there is a difference. And I think <laughs> many coaches, there's a problem in this industry at the moment where people, mm-hmm. for all good intention perhaps, are helping people because maybe they've had binge eating disorder, for example, and they think that um, that means that they can they can help. Now, this is where my opinion is somewhat controversial because yeah. my opinion is the following: is that if you've got the skills, you've got the skills. The qualifications are just a piece of paper. They're not just a piece of paper, sorry, but there are whether it be psychologists or registered dietitians. So registered dietitians are who on paper you um you could send somebody with an eating disorder to i personally know registered dietitians that i wouldn't send any of my clients within a mile of <laughs> right yeah. so it it does come down to what it, to your to your you know your empathy skills and what have you as well yeah yeah there is a big problem in this industry at the moment with um i think people maybe unintentionally without realizing that that maybe out of their depth yeah and that's harmful right because that that's doing way more harm than good with the right intention but it's still yeah drifting way out of the lane that scope of practice would fall under so how would somebody with an emotional eating as a coping strategy how do you overcome that how do you help people what what do you do what voodoo do you practice (laughs) yeah i get this question all the time and um i love it in a podcast format but when people ask it me on like TikTok and Instagram, I'm like, are you joking? Do you really expect me to answer that question in, in a fucking comment? And um, to digress slightly, so if I do, I always will. But feel free to bring me back to actually answering the question. But I think what I want a lot of people to take from this as well is that if you find yourself asking that question, mm-hmm. um, of course, it's perfect for this scenario. But if you find yourself as somebody struggling asking that question, it's the wrong question if you're struggling with something. Because in I consider myself relatively – I can read between the lines quite quite well. Yeah, intuitive. And, yeah. And typically that means that you're just looking for another fix. What's the, what's the trick? Yeah. And it's, it, it's, it, I'm sorry, friend, it's not going to be – it's not going to be something I can just slap a label onto yeah. a product for. Um, but to answer your question, it's, um, yeah, I think step one for me, this is where we, I think, as coaches in the program, we differ as well. This is my perspective. Yeah. So for me, what I find works is step one is logically connecting the dots by understanding why you make the choices that you do. And that is having a theoretical knowledge of trauma, mm-hmm. I suppose. So what I will often do in a first conversation with um, with a prospective student is help them through that process. Yeah. And 
that can be, it's looking at their story at the same time as applying, let's say, well, this is why you're nervous. Well, your nervous system is doing this and neurologically your mind is doing this. And I think when you slap a bit of that onto it as well, whilst it is somewhat more clinical, it helps them realize that they're not this messy, stupid idiot, right? Well, first of all, we're all messy, stupid idiots. Nobody's perfect. We're human. Um, So when you help people realize that it's not their fault. Yeah. That that's extremely powerful where people can misconstrue that is, and this is where the cynics of the world can come into the conversation and say, well, you're just relinquishing responsibility there. No, no, you have to keep on taking responsibility. But if you can't understand what from your past is driving you to make the decisions that you are, yeah, the only other option left is to judge and shame yourself for it because that's what society does. So you're going to internalize that as well. Yeah. Um, so step one is helping them understand logically X caused Y. Yeah. And then it's stepping into what all of that then brings, because then it's a case of inner child work, for example, um, where we can look at, um, let's say I've helped you realize that the reason, let's try and play it out in terms of how I'd have the conversation. So what would happen is the person would open up and we talk about mum, we talk about dad. And what we often find is that this person grew up in an environment where mum, and I'm not, not, not even about food. It, it's, it's, food comes into it, but more often than not, it's this more general ideology that uh, appearances matter, yeah. sure, but other people's opinions matter. We've got to keep up appearances in this household. Yeah. Well, the message that the child then receives, depending on their age, is that, oh, I'm not enough as I am. Yeah. You know, child's mind is stupid. As Dr. Gabor Mate refers to children as narcissists. Yeah, they're self-centered. That's all they care about. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. They're kids. Exactly. (laughs) They don't give a shit about us. (laughs) Cats. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, but that's just how the child's mind works. So then it happens again, it happens again, it happens again. And what we've got to remember is that Mum and dad, they're the psychological representation of two things. One, God, but two, everybody that you're ever going to come into contact with for the rest of your life. Yeah, you know? so, so true. This, um, I'm going to think this. My story with that is um, I, my dad uh, had a very bad temper, still does, a bad temper in the car, right? <laughs> So that's that's all I was exposed to. So when I see him screaming at people for doing what I would consider very reasonable maneuvers on the road, right? Um, <laughs> it's teaching me that this is how everyone thinks. Yeah. How do you think my first driving test went? Ooh, yeah, 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 yeah. This is what I'm thinking. <laughs> I'm not just managing myself. I'm now having to manage what manage what everyone else is thinking about me. Yeah. Um, which is an impossible task. It's completely outside of our control. 
So to bring it back to, to the example, um, the, it, it creates this sense of uncertainty in the individual. So then we can say, well, all right, Sandra, for example. So if I was to ask you now how you feel when stepping outside, let's say you're going for a meal with your friends. What happens in your mind before you go to that meal? Well, I've got to think about getting the perfect dress. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. Well, how do you feel when that is happening? Well, I'm stressed. I'm anxious. How did you feel when, if you can take it back to what that little girl was feeling, is there a difference? And the light bulb goes off. Yeah. They, I've got goose pimples. I get emotional about this. When, when they can see for the first time that they, nothing's changed. They're still the same little the little girl. Or the yeah, girl. yeah. And when people realise that for the first time, and they realise the reason that I feel this is not it's not because I'm weak, or because I lack motivation, or because I lack strength. All of those things are conscious. They're for the prefrontal cortex. They're for the conscious side of our mind. Yeah. We choose to be strong, and that's why motivation is fleeting. Yeah. Because what really drives us in the end is is the 95% mind, which is where all of that other stuff is kept. And once they finally realize that at yeah. an intellectual level, well, that then helps, I find at least, the emotional side of them to then buy into it and then just do more and more and more and more. And more. Yeah, it's, yeah. So, it's so interesting because a lot of work that I do with, with clients tends to come from whenever it's an insecurity or a limiting belief, it can be traced right back to like pre seven years old with uh -huh. that imprint stage of, and that's where we learn about who we are and our place in the world before the age of seven. Yeah. And when you think about it as a parent and you look back, I didn't learn all of this stuff until my kids were past seven. <laughs> and then I was like, Oh, <laughs> where, where have I fucked them up? Let's un unpick some of this. And I often find myself remembering an incident and apologizing retrospectively. Yeah, yeah. I remember when I did this and I shouted at you and I shouldn't have done. And I'm really sorry. And my kids go, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> I don't remember that. I don't remember it happening that way. And I'm like, okay, yeah, no, we're good here. Let's, uh, that's fine. <laughs> but that, that key stage and it does, we hold this internal unconscious representation of who we are and how other people see us and quite often that seven-year-old version of ourselves is not who we truly are or how other people see us it's just that story that we've told ourselves all the way through our life mm -hmm. and when you just said you've got goosebumps like I got goosebumps as well because I know that even when I do it, when I get a flashback of something that happened when I was younger or I remember a time where I felt so-and-so about myself and then I just want to go back and hug little me right. and go, shit, like little me, like that must have been heartbreaking. But I can recognise that I was a child and that wasn't how it was viewed as an adult. Mm -hmm. And sometimes... What I find with some of my clients and some of the things that I read and, and discuss is that people can then sometimes blame their parents for this. And then it gets that internal feeling then becomes projected onto something else rather than healing. So it's almost it's almost like another destructive circle of a bad relationship.
So it's, oh, my parents didn't do this. So therefore my parents were rubbish or shit. And it's so important to recognize that we're all just doing the best that we can. I think, I can't remember who says it exactly, but I hear this parroted all the time. And it's so true that we do the best that we can with the tools and resources that we have at that time and place. If we truly believe that everybody is just always doing their very best, the world becomes a much nicer place. Yeah, it really does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I tend to forget that when I'm in a car. Like I just resonated with your dad there. I am dreadful <laughs> in my car. My, my road rage is awful. Um, yeah. But I think that's also in part to, like due to my ADHD and lack of patience and not liking to be still. Um, <laughs> but yeah, just coming back to where we were that reparenting and that recognizing that that inner child part of you needs healing and needs understanding and needs nurturing again and when we can recognize that particularly as women because we have this maternal instinct yeah. it becomes such strong powerful work such strong, powerful work. So when it comes to the emotional eating and, and they start to see that that's how they've been coping and they've been comforting themselves with with food and they start to move forward. Um, what does that then start to manifest in their life? How do they how do they then start to to react? And what are the behaviours as people start to heal? What do you see in your work? That's a really good question. Um it's a sense of peace. I don't like that answer though, because it's very ambiguous. Um, I think Rose, right? You know yep, Rose. Very I know well. Rose yeah. So we call Rose Cupid for a reason. <laughs> um, because, and for those listening, Rose is one of the Bobby Nutrition coaches. Um, she has helped numerous women. Now, we're not a dating agency, <laughs> right? So let me just put that out there. But it's, it's not about food and it never was. Mm -hmm. That's, yeah. that's what they find out. And they realize that the people pleasing, the perfectionism, the idea that they have to be everywhere for everyone. They have to manage everybody else's emotions before they manage their own, because if they manage other people's emotions, well, because they were taught that to receive love is conditional, they've been giving their entire lives in the hope of actually receiving that love in return. Yeah. Once they finally realize that, again, at a logical level, they can call themselves out on it. Yeah. They can call that emotional brain out for the bullshit that it's feeding them. And when they start doing that, well, then it doesn't change the emotions. From, it doesn't mean I'm not going to be scared of this situation anymore. So there's still an element of fear that they have to overcome by facing the fear head on, whether that be a practical fear, well, fear is emotional, but whether it yeah. be a practical situation or um, something that's just living right up here and nothing is happening externally, doesn't matter. So a first date, for example, is terrifying when all of the evidence that you have unconsciously and emotionally tells you that men are shit. <laughs> every, man that you, every man that you have been with has been an arsehole. Yeah. You know, so why would you believe anything different? It's not a lot that churning you get in your stomach of going on a first date. Then it's not logical. You don't choose that as a defense mechanism. It's all no. happening unconsciously. Yeah. Um, so there comes a point where we then have to say, we understand this part now. Now it's time to step into it bit by bit, baby steps. And so to come back to the point of dating, then all of these traits, 
that we actually find are just feeding into the coping mechanism of food actually have you've been coping with it in many other ways you've been avoiding life yeah you've been distracting yourself food is just one thing that you've probably been using it's just the obvious one because society has a, a very strong opinion yeah. on what happens if you consume too much food yeah um so then once we realize that there are other elements of life such as work and relationships that you can step into somewhat differently to come back to the point of rose um, we had one client, lovely lady, Antonella, who is, you know, out into the big bad world. Now she left us four or five months ago, something like that. And she sent Rose a message not too long ago saying, um, not only cause she'd had a severe lack of trust in men, justifiably, um, not only did she step into the dating pool, you know, she feels she's found the love of her life. Oh. Um, and she realized the job that she had, which was a relatively, you know, so-called high power job, she realized that the only reason that she was doing it, surrounding herself with all of these alpha males, was to try to prove something. Of course. To prove, to overcome this lack that she was feeling to begin with. Yeah. Once she realized that there isn't a lack and she's a fucking phenomenal human as it is, well, she left that behind because she didn't have to prove anything to anyone or herself. And she started her own company, which is flourishing. Amazing. I love you know? stuff like that. That, yeah, is, that is that is just everything. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. And the food is just the, the, the one part that they, I guess, becomes the friction point for them mm. to start to heal. It, uh, and we all have that one friction point, that one thing that we just can't tolerate any more of. Right. That moves us towards taking action. And it nearly always surprises people, and it did me, that when you start to heal and you start to work on yourself, the thing that you think is wrong with you is not the thing that you think is wrong with you. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and when you're presented with the actual thing that is wrong with you, you kind of go, ah, oh, bollocks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, bollocks, yeah. And some people can, like, completely shut down and, and decide, this is not for me, I am not ready to do that and carry on as they were right. or they throw themselves fully into this and <clears throat> i have found that self-development has been probably the most freeing amazing but also the most painful hurtful sad journey that i have been on and i think that's what sometimes stops people <laughs> getting the help and support that they need is that they know subconsciously that it's going to hurt in some way yes so and they're not prepared for that so they never want to step into it and also there's that 100 percent. so i think a lot of the time before people come to us they've they people come to us at different points along this journey um but uh, most of them are at that point where they've they know something has to be done they know something deeper is up yeah but dare I say it, um, that's almost the easier part because once you feel like you've overcome that fear, you think you've done that. You yeah. think you've done the hard part. And then what you come to realize is that your brain's a funny thing. Your nervous system's a funny thing. And if you have done things in a specific way for, I think the average age of our lady, lady is probably anywhere between 40 to 45, give or take. 
So we're talking 10, 20, 30, 40 years and more in many cases um, of every second of every day. What's the data telling us that we have something like 70,000 thoughts per day? Yeah. They measure that, but um, most of them, most of which being negative. Yeah. So whatever that figure is for how long you've been on this earth, that's a lot of thinking the same way. Yeah. You know, and we are just machines in the end. So your neurons are firing in a very specific way. So even if the firing of those neurons in this specific way is bringing you misery, it doesn't matter because they fire in this way. It's what's comfortable. Even if it's chaos, the biggest psychological travesty of human existence for me is that if you were brought up in absolute chaos as an adult, not only will you accept that chaos, but you will actively seek it out. Yeah. Actively sabotage yourself to align to the chaos or the limiting beliefs that you have been surrounded with the entirety of your life. Um, so what happens is you're a couple of months in and you're nailing it. Everything's going well. You're excited. You're motivated. And then all of a sudden the brain starts feeding back saying, Ooh, yeah, but we used to do things the other way. Yeah. It's like a factory reset. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And it comes up in really ugly ways horrible messages horrible self-talk and this that's the most dangerous point i think in someone's journey in terms of letting it go because they think they've gotten over the hurdle when really the hurdle is yet to come yeah um and i'm trying to think of how this will have how this displayed itself with myself i think i think for me it was um starting the business Mm -hmm. and i thought I knew it all, you know, and I thought I'd done all of my self-growth stuff at this point. We're going back like, you know, about three years ago, something like that. And I'd left the corporate job. Um, I was doing this. Everything was relatively comfortable, you know, ish, you know, finances were okay. And, but I think at one point I, I changed something in the business and all of a sudden things didn't feel okay. I think maybe on the surface, everything was absolutely fine, but internally, like I almost threw it all away. Yeah. Like I, remember, I remember to this day going to New Brighton front and Jess was like, we need to go out. We, we have to get you out because all of the old stories, you're not good enough. And yeah. it's going to, it all came back. Uh, I remember it like it was yesterday. And it is just a story. Your feelings are valid, but they are just feelings. That's the tricky part. Yeah, yeah. And I've been, I've been there, and it is a, it takes a Herculean effort, an exhausting effort on a daily basis to just exist when right. you feel that way. And on the outside, you look fairly normal, a bit tired, um, but internally, yeah the chaos can be absolutely, utterly exhausting. So how do you know, Bobby, that you're doing a good job with your clients? How do you know? Well, I suppose I can give emotional answers or I can give technical answers. We've got the typical check-in forms and what have you. Um, We measure it. You know, we're very data-driven and we have formulas that tell us, you know, if everyone's happy and what have you. But the way that we know, first and foremost, is that we don't take too many people on and that, um, it means that our coaches can have a very, 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 very 
close relationship with the individuals that they're working with so they can make a nuanced decision as to is this person okay yeah so um in terms of that's part that's at least how i can understand it so at a top level um i can get that feedback from my coaches but i think what you're asking is how do you just what's the person doing that's actually showing you that everything's okay um it's not too dissimilar to the previous answer it's when it it, it sorry it depends on where they are Mm -hmm. So if somebody comes to me three months in and they are like I just described, yeah. I'll be like, perfect, <laughs> right on cue. Whereas to them, they're like, you're mental. You know, they're like dying inside. Yeah. And, um, you know, they're, they're like, I'm going to quit my job. You're an asshole, you know. Or, uh... <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, um Really, it's it's. This is why it's important to have, have to have gone through. You can't read about the stuff that I'm talking about now. Um, so, I think for the first couple of months, people are motivated and they're learning something new for the first time. But then they realise so-called progress is potentially slowing down, and then, like clockwork, something really comes to a head three or four months it not all the time but more often than you would think yeah and this is just those stories coming back um and then we get through that together we get through it and um then the final the final procedure i call it creating a new identity mm -hmm. because the way that i try to think of it in my mind is well where are you now where's the starting point the sensor and the bulk of it is how can we help you understand yourself better? So we go through that process. And then the final part is how can we actually create a new identity? Because yeah. it's, that's the part that people, and it sounds really woolly and I'm not a woolly woo woo guy, you know, I'm not, I'm, a, I'm, I'm, I'm quite a sequential um, person. Um, but so creating a new identity is, is um is you you've done the logical part somewhat of the emotional side as well you've had yeah. to you've had to step into you know whether it's reparenting or inner child work whatever it might be but when it comes to creating a new identity that means that thinking about things isn't enough anymore yeah you've got to do you've got to do there are some things that um as a mentor once told me you can't outthink a doing problem yeah Problem that needs doing needs doing. And one of the issues that I ran into for a huge chunk of my self-development journey, being an analytical person was I was great at journaling. I could articulate my emotions back to you better than any psychiatrist or psychologist could. Yeah. But that will only take you so far. You have to really feel everything that you're trying to feel. Yeah. And that's where the creating a new identity starts. So once people start acknowledging the fear and sadness and pain is not it's not a you thing it's not something to be ashamed of it's a human condition yeah it's information it's 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 information that's coming from it's trying to tell you something yeah like, it's your internal sat nerve right an emotion yeah, is, a, that's is a great way to put it yeah yeah 100 and once people are accepting of that and again coming back to what we said before what's the secret mm -hmm. right 
there isn't one. You don't overcome this stuff, at least in the sense that you initially consider overcoming. Yeah. It's just a state of acceptance. And then once you can accept things, um, then when things aren't going so well, internally at least, um, you know it's just a blip. Yeah. Yeah, That's the because... measurement for me, I think, being okay. I think Mark Manson, my literary hero, he puts it great, is that life is not about um, removing all of these problems. It's about identifying the problems that are worth for you feeling shit for. Yeah. That's a really great way to look at it because life has a habit of kicking you in the pants regularly. Um mm -hmm. It is. It's choose your battles. It's like when you're raising kids. Kids are going to be little shits sometimes. And yeah. if you constantly shout at them for being little shits and exploring and, and doing things that are not socially acceptable, you're going to find yourself constantly being annoyed, irritated, cross or disappointed. <laughs> because that's, 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 that's how kids learn is by doing lots of things that they're not supposed to do. Because and that's they're tough, right? Because that that's and that's where I really struggle personally because I've got a step boy, mm -hmm. Louis, and he's eight. You know that wonderful eight. He's about to turn nine next week, I think it's next week or the week after, and that's hard, man. Because I I I see so much of myself in in him. Yeah. Um. What can what he's trying to get away with? What he's trying to sneak? You know any of the manipulation and <laughs> yeah. you, you know and these are such on the surface toxic negative traits but th this is what children are they're narcissists you know yeah, absolutely it's so difficult to let them just be sometimes and i i know i've got it wrong i yeah. still i still do and it's and i think um the thing that i really i really borderline resents the self-development process for is how much how much you do intellectualize things yeah and then god like you just like you like you alluded to earlier when you start apologizing for things that you did years ago with your kids you know yeah. like i found myself doing the same thing it's yeah. it's torturous yeah it really is and my stepson is the same he's literally just turned nine so nine. that phase i am very familiar with <laughs> um <clears throat> my two children so my son will be 22 this year my daughter's 17 this year they seem to be fairly okay so i've done i've raised children to a level of socially acceptable and <laughs> seem to be fairly independent and and yeah. okay and now i have two stepchildren who are nine and nearly seven so i get to fuck two more up <laughs> because yeah. even the lessons that i learned with my two when you're presented with two different ones like they don't respond the same they're completely right. different they're individuals so mm -hmm. you can raise many children in the same household and they will all come out in different ways and i find that utterly fascinating that how a tiny circumstantial environmental change can impact how somebody turns out or how somebody perceives the world or, when you say circumstance do you mean like a specific incident or do you mean yeah, the general environment? something can be insignificant as an adult such as a new teacher right 
Right. But the child being in a classroom and something happens with that teacher on the first day and Uh it colours their experience of that school year. Mm -hmm. And then that school year colours their experience of school. So depressing. (laughs) It it is, but it's fascinating because it makes you aware that as a child, if that can happen, as an adult, you can recognise where you might have inherited certain perceptions and ideas and beliefs and values from. And if if that was something that you chose or you didn't choose to inherit, it was just part, you can unchoose to do that. It's right. almost like a, it's, it's not as simple as click your fingers and right, I don't believe that anymore, but recognizing that, oh shit, that happened because of that. And I had an immature mind, so I didn't see it in the way that it was intended or not intended. Mm-hmm. You can reframe situations and make peace with them mm-hmm. yeah but then you look at on, on the flip side and you go right and you start to this is this is my issue with self-development and understanding how people's minds work i then analyze everybody around me <laughs> i then start to unpick and i think i'm quite naturally intuitive and i'll have a conversation with somebody and because i found this is just how my brain works as a as a neurodivergent person i don't do small talk I fucking get so irritated by small talk. I don't want to know. I don't want to know about what dress you wore last week or what shoes. I want to know, how did your mum fuck you up as a kid? (laughs) Give me that stuff. Yeah, get into the deepness. And now I understand why people have always said to me, fucking hell, you're intense. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And why people are drawn to me in, like, nightclub toilets you know the deep and meaningfuls yeah. that you get in kitchens at parties like i'd be in the middle of all of that going oh yeah, let me sort of that. yeah that's that's yeah. just and i but i love that <laughs> <laughs> but i love that and i found that that's why like i love coaching because i'm not afraid to ask the questions that need to be asked that's but, really true, actually sorry carry on yeah but understanding that the intellectual side of there has to be consent with this like as an adult and somebody that's explored this and cocked it up many, many times, understanding that, do you mind if I ask you such and such, or I can see that you're feeling this particular way. Is it, is it okay to explore that and kind of getting that consent as a coach? Um, I don't do that with my kids. Like it's my right as a parent to override all of that shit. But you mentioned that you have coaches that work with you under Bobby nutrition. What criteria? I know you mentioned that it's part of the almost philosophy that they need to have experienced some level of trauma or upset for them to be able to resonate. But what other criteria do your coaches have that make them good enough or um, perfect for Bobby Nutrition? There's certain qualifications, but again, I have a certain opinion of that and I I like to make a judgment on what the person can actually do as opposed Mm -hmm. to what the paper says. Um, so we recently did a workshop and I'm, I'm, my, my team's going to kill me for this, but I, um, I can't, I'm, tr- I'm going to try and remember what our core values are, or at least some of them. And that's what they need to live to. Right. Yeah. Um, so, and some of them are quite silly. So for example, one of them, I'm not sure if we changed this, but it's something along the lines of bumpiness. You yeah. know, if you come in 
And you can have all the intellect towards this as you like, love. But um, if you're just like about <laughs> it all, our clients aren't going to resonate with you. Yeah, yeah. You know? So the, there's relatively cheeky, quirky um, personality-driven sides of it, which are, are so important to me. Um, so you've got to have a bit of banter. You've got, yep. you've got to be a human about things. You've got to have a sense of humor. Um, you have to get it done as well. Yep. So I think we labeled that as get shit done. Yeah. Um, I would argue maybe that's more on the internal side of the business. But, you know, if you are leaving a client for more than a couple of days without a response, first of all, there needs to be a reason for that. But yeah. you need to get shit done. Yeah. There's a reason that we, we, we limit how many people you can work with so you can actually de dedicate all of your, your conscious efforts towards them. So I'd say that overall, what else? What else is important to me? Um, I think they have, well, it, it kind of un underlines everything that, that we started off talking about, but they've got to have that empathy. Yeah. You know, I didn't say that because I kind of, I think it goes without saying, but just to, but just to re-emphasize you, you and empathy, again, is another word that's thrown around a lot. I don't think um, a lot of people understand the difference between empathy, sympathy, empathy. compassion. Just about to say. 100%. Yeah. Um, because um, what attracts a lot of people to me is, is what I don't want them to be attracted to me for. So because I sit in this so-called compassionate space, people think that I'm just going to blow smoke up their ass the whole <laughs> You know, it's okay. And, it's yeah, okay. Don't worry. Yeah, it's it, yeah, 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 yeah. And and whilst there's of course there's a certain way, depending on how some somebody's mental state is, there's a certain way of delivering the message. Of course there is. Yeah. Um. And I I personally and I get this probably answers the question. Having that balance is really important. Yeah. So that's probably the best way to answer the question. I think actually I didn't even realize that balance is what's important because if you are on the soft side. It's it's first of all that'll wind me up, yeah, right. Um, but also, it's not in the client's best interests. No. It is in the given in the given moment, but it's not for the future version of themselves. So you've got to be able to find that balance. That that's what I would say. Correct me if I'm wrong, but that's what I would say. Sympathy is, which is just oh, it's so tough. I understand, but that's what you speak to Meg about when you go out for a drink. She'll yeah. just stroke her ego and make tell you that everything's okay when it isn't. Yeah. What we're here to do is to hear, help you understand why you feel the way that you do legitimately, not just to make you feel better about yourself, but psychologically, this is the reason you feel this way, but this is what you've got to do about it now. So I yeah. think finding that balance is absolutely fundamental. Definitely. There's a lot of, um, there's a lot of coaches that, or on, in the online space, I see coaches talking about empathy, but their behavior displays pity rather than empathy yes and that is a negative kind of emotional response as a coach i find but <clears throat> i think it's brene brown uh, my god my savior my mentor yeah, she's, she's, she's phenomenal she says that empathy without boundaries is dangerous mm -hmm. 
you cannot have empathy if you don't have boundaries. You cannot have compassion if you don't have boundaries, because what that does then, if you're compassionate with no boundaries, if you're constantly helping other people, people you're, you're a people pleaser and it's a self-destructive yeah. mechanism. And empathy is the same. Like empathy has to have boundaries. You have to have that arm around the shoulder, kick up the butt because mm. yes, your situation is this. It isn't your fault. However, you can take action to move forward. I'm going to help you do that. And sympathy, I think, it's just, it's, I don't like sympathetic responses because it seems insincere. And I don't know whether that's just my personal take on an experience on it. But like you just said, Meg in the toilet, who's going, oh, there, there, there. Don't worry about it. Like, it's okay. She don't give a shit. <laughs> She's just trying to shut you up. Yes, yeah. Yeah, yeah, just yeah. trying to shut you up oh it doesn't matter honestly baby blah, blah, blah. yeah shut yeah. up let's just carry on drinking sort of thing yeah yes. yeah <laughs> but yeah um, i think empathy balance like that as a coach has to be has to come into play it really does otherwise you're effectively just a trainer yeah you're just um or a teacher yeah I think I struggle with this at the moment, especially from a content perspective, because if I think about it, just being vulnerable for a second, if I think if we're talking about this, if those people are attracted to me, it could be because that's the, that's what I'm portraying, you know, and it's not what I want to portray. It's difficult when you've got 40 seconds to do a boogie, yeah, yeah. you know, but it's, it's, um, what we actually value is a balance of the two. Um, it, yeah, it, it can't be one-sided, which, yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe when I'm on the content side, you know, I, I, I do, and it's all genuine. It is all genuine. But um, I do think what, you have a balance. I do think you have a balance. I think it comes across in your content. Otherwise, I would never have reached out to you. Okay, cool. <laughs> <laughs> you go off. <laughs> yeah, but it does because I think there's there's certain things that you post and you say this might seem controversial and it's it's you delivering that element of responsibility needs to happen here. Mm, I hope so. I hope so. But even if that weren't to come across internally, which I think is what's most important internally within the business, it's a it's it's non-negotiable yeah. for us. It's um yeah. Otherwise, that's what that's why people end up coming to us because they they've had people with all of the best intentions, you know, help them. Um, but there's a reason you don't ask your mum and dad for help with this stuff. You know, <laughs> they've got the best intentions, but it's a fucking nightmare. Yeah, you know? you've got you've got to you've got to have the balance. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Because your parents can't be subjective or objective. I get the two of those mixed up: subjective and objective. So I use them. Like it is what it is. Subjective is up to interpretation. Right. Yeah. Thank you for that. <laughs> I'll still get them wrong. Like affect and affect. I always get those two mixed right. up. And I find myself going, is it affect or is it an effect? And I just, yeah. Anyway, that's my <laughs> grammatical rant there. Sorry. Um, I really appreciate your time today, Bobby. I have really enjoyed our chat. Yeah. This could go on for hours and hours, but I try to keep my episodes under an hour. Yeah, I'd really like to do this again, definitely for sure. Um, where can people find you and where can they learn more about the work that you do? Cool. So I would say uh, I answer it the same way. Come and talk to me. Um, and where can you talk to me? <clears throat> the best place is Instagram. 
Um, I'm in there all the time. It's my life. You know, I want to go to TikTok, but it sounds like that's going to shit now. Yeah. Know? So go to TikTok if you want, but I'm not sure how much longer it's going to be there. Um, so my attention um, from a content perspective and also from from an engagement perspective, if you really want to get the most out of me, just message me, man. I think people have this impression that they're not going to answer. I've got nothing else to do. Feel <laughs> <laughs> free, message me, and you will get a response. Perfect. I will put the link to your Instagram in the show notes for everybody. Um, I appreciate your time, Bobby. Really enjoyed this. Thank you so much. Thank you.